Support for America Made Easy and the following message come from Nuable Levitas, the transatlantic joint venture supporting ambitious SMEs was setting up in the United States. We help make entrepreneurs' lives easier by providing an operational solution for their U.S. expansion strategies so they can focus on driving revenue and doing what they got into business to do in the first place. Hello and welcome to the America Made Easy podcast, the bi-weekly show where we help international SMEs tackle the complexity of setting up and growing their business in the American market. I'm your host, Morgan Pierstorff, and in today's episode, we are exploring insurance as a tool to mitigate the risks associated with your U.S. expansion. Today, I am joined by Kevin Mayo, Director of Insurance and Chief Underwriting Officer at Avitas Group. Kevin has over 35 years of experience in writing commercial lines insurance, getting his start as a commercial lines underwriter for the Travelers Insurance Company back in the mid-1980s. He has underwritten for other major carriers, including AIG, Royal Insurance, Crown & Forrester, and has also been on the managing general agency side, writing various nationwide insurance programs in sectors ranging from healthcare to aircraft. Kevin holds his property and casualty insurance licenses in all 50 states, plus the District of Columbia, and holds his surplus lines licenses in over 40 states. Hey, well, Kevin, uh, a very warm welcome to you to join us here on the America Made Easy podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, if I'm correct, you're joining us today from our, our corporate headquarters in Denver. Is that right? That's correct. And is it uh, pretty wintry? Is it snow on the ground or have you all managed to avoid it? Um, we've had a couple snowstorms uh, earlier in the season. Uh, we've got snow coming on Saturday um, here in uh, the, we call it the front range area where we're right at the edge of the, of the Rocky Mountains. Um, we get a lot of changes uh, in uh, temperature. Um, and so uh, usually when we do get snows, they usually don't stay on the ground very long. Uh, most of the time, they're either gone by that, that same day or the, the next day or two. So um, it's very transitional. So I like it. It's change. Yeah. Well, this time of the year, everybody wants snow, don't they? So uh, here in London, we're certainly uh, very slim chances for any of that. Uh, but uh, we, we're having our own our own cold and wet weather at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, glad that you can be joining us. Um, you know, we haven't... The insurance is a topic that's kind of skirted its way into conversation on the podcast previously when we've been talking about recruitment or employer responsibilities, things like that. But it's still its own beast to really tackle. So we're excited to have you speaking with us today about how investors can leverage insurance to de-risk some aspects of their expansion to the U.S., um, so, Kevin, to really give uh, our listeners a good understanding of the landscape in the U.S. and how it might differ from a regulatory perspective and what those differences might mean for small businesses, I wonder if you can just kind of start there and give us a little bit of a perspective on the landscape. Sure. Um, so insurance in the United States is um, different from the U.K. and uh, other European countries in that uh, most of the European countries, including the UK, have a national. They have national laws that uh, pertain to insurance, but here in the United States, uh, insurance is regulated by the individual states. So each state uh, has their own insurance law, and uh, basically, um, most of most of the laws are all pretty much the same. So they're kind of all congruent together. 
with the exception of some states that have um, more uh, re requirements for individuals. For instance, um, there are some states that don't require an owner of a business to have workers' compensation if they um, are uh, if they're self-employed and they don't have any other employees. But the state of California, as like the state of Florida, they do require those owners to declare and have a uh, workers' comp policy in place. Um, so again, each state is individual, um, very similar in nature, but um, each state, you know, has a, has a different little bit of a kind of a clientele and a culture that they have. Mm -hmm. And just uh, for reference for our listeners, uh, you're, you're hearing a term we've talked about in one, a previous episode, again, workers' compensation insurance. So uh, I guess it's fair to say, Kevin, that the majority, perhaps 80% or more of states require that, but interesting to note that some states might look at it differently. And I presume there must be, yeah, different um, pricing, you know, and uh, and other con concerns and um, and matters as it relates to workers' compensation and how it's regulated at the state level. Right. So um, the, the, the individual rates, uh, each insurance company that participates in writing workers' compensation, they have to file annual rates um, of their uh, each line of business according to the, their classification. Uh, so like in workers' compensation, if you have clerical or if you have sales, um, those rates may vary. Um, they do try to stay extremely competitive. Um, so the rates usually don't vary much. Um, and then when you get a new insurance company that's coming into a state, they may lowball the pricing initially. Um, so that they can start writing uh, and take a certain percentage of the book of business from that particular state. Um, but the, again, the rates are the rates are all basically based off of um, your. They look at the different classifications of the workers' compensation and uh, higher risk. For instance, if you have a uh, a window washer who's washing, um, you know, forced uh, you know, two to four story or higher. Um, they're in a completely different classification than someone sitting at a desk mm -hmm. and doing clerical work. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, somebody who's, who works in a dynamite factory uh, in the in the production of, of, of dynamite, they're going to be different than someone, again, uh, that's in a sales position uh, selling a product uh, retail or over the phone. So, again, it, it, it depends on the diversity and the, uh, the complexity of the individual uh class of business that the individual's doing. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that kind of uh, that breakdown of that. I, I suppose, you know, workers' compensation insurance, again, which is essentially just um, really covering if there is a, something that comes up with an injury with an employee or whatnot, there will be the, an equivalent in whatever home market our listeners are operating out of. Um, but that can be one particular difference on the insurance side of things. So it's important to point that out from an employer's perspective, if you're looking to recruit or bring on employees in the U.S. market as a part of your expansion. Um, but maybe just zooming out a little bit um, and looking at some, some broad trends, would you say that um, in your experience, you find that the companies that are coming in from other markets would really need the same level of coverage in the United States for their business than um, very similar to what they have in their home market? Or would you say there are fundamental differences perhaps in the U.S. insurance market that require additional precaution or risk management tools? Well, um, generally, um, most uh, insurers, and, it and again, it depends on what they're doing. So um, we currently just wrote uh, a, a British 
account, the UK account. And so they were concerned about their products exposure uh, and whether they had any coverage in the United States. Their their current policy that they had uh, in the UK uh, had an extension on it for uh, products liability. But um, after they sent me the policy and I reviewed it and looked at the exclusions on it, the, the policy actually took away the products coverage. So they really didn't have any coverage at all in the United States. So we immediately had to go to town and, and get, uh, you know, quotes. And they, we literally, we had a, we had a telephone call, a phone conference on a Tuesday, and we ended up binding uh, the business on a Friday because mm-hmm. they had been doing business in the United States for two years and um, didn't have any products coverage. And so, you know, it kind of, what we say scared the bejesus out of them. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, you know, they wanted to get coverage immediately. But most most of the time, um, most businesses coming in um, are going to are gonna have a very similar uh, type of uh, insurance coverages. Um, the, there is a little bit of a variance uh, in, I know uh, I've, I've reviewed many, many uh, European policies before and especially the UK policies. Um, we have a term that we use here in the United States for what we call a general liability. And uh, the UK, they, uh, they split it up into two different sections, provide the same coverage, but they have what they call public entity coverage and that they have products coverage. So for us, the general liability, it all comes together into one. But basically, you know, you're looking at needing basically the same. You need a general liability or public liability in products. You need property coverage. Uh, you need uh, cyber coverage if you have any type of internet sales or you take information uh, from clients or from individuals uh, on the internet. And the internet too, you need that the cyber for hacking uh, to prevent hacking. Uh, umbrellas uh, that cover, you know, that go over everything that give you higher limits. And then, uh, of course, your workers' compensation for your employees. And then commercial auto, if you end up owning, uh, you know, vehicles, if you have a delivery company, uh, you know, you need to make sure you've got proper coverage for all of your vehicles. Um, and then also, too, if you don't have commercial auto vehicles, um, even if you have employees, and let's say, for instance, that um, uh, you do, you know, sales, uh, and you uh, you ask uh, one of your employees to drop off a box at FedEx on their way home from work. Um, now, as long as that employee is still doing uh, work basically based off of what their job description is or, or what they're doing in the course of their work, if they were involved in a car accident uh, and you had what we refer to as hired and non-owned coverage, uh, that coverage, which is very cheap, would give them coverage and that would pay for that claim. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with commercial auto and hired and non-owned, if you don't have any autos, I still recommend that we could do it like a rider add-on to the general liability to give them coverage uh, for any type of vehicles that would be used uh, for the business. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, so I just might just... Uh, uh, there is. Uh, there is. <laughs> uh, but, but by and large, by and large, it's, it's going to be a similar or same type of coverage that you would need uh, uh, coming in from a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And I think you you touched on something quite important, which is um, you know just having a second look at things um, because the the markets and the terminology and the processes could be a little bit different. Uh, as you gave the example with the the one client in particular, you might think you have coverage, um, but it certainly doesn't um, doesn't hurt to have another set of eyes and and have that kind of in market expertise to 
to provide those interpretations of, of what, in fact, you do have so that you don't end up in a, in a world of trouble. Right. And, and so what I, what I recommend to all uh, you know, potential clients or current clients is um, to, allow, to allow me or someone here in the United States uh, that has an insurance background to review the current policies that they have. Because the last thing we want to do is to have double coverage, as mm-hmm. we refer to as double indemnity. And if they do have an insurance policy that does give coverage, you don't want to duplicate that. So if they were coming into the United States, we would want to delete that coverage uh, or that endorsement that they would have on their current policy, so that they're so that the client's not paying extra money. Mm-hmm. Is that process of um, you know, in your view, of, of securing insurance relatively similar um, from market to market? I mean, are there uh, presumably no you know differences uh, in terms of the process of how they would engage leveraging? Uh, an MGA such as, as Avitas to be able to help them with that or going through a broker? Do you find that those relationships uh, in your experience are similar from market to market? Um, so uh, let me take a, a client coming in, let's say from the UK. Um, there's two different types of markets in the United States that we refer. So we have what we call standard company markets, uh, like Travelers Insurance Company, Hanover, AIG, uh, Geico, Prudential, those type of companies. And then uh, you have what we call non-admitted or uh, surplus lines carriers. And the surplus lines carriers are the ones that usually write what we refer to as new startups. So about 99% of the time, the standard companies won't write uh, a risk uh, that's coming into the United States because they usually require uh, three years of, of uh, business uh, under their belts so that they can have an idea uh, of whether or not the uh, client is profitable. And then the other thing too from the standard company is, um, you know, you have a high attrition rate for certain classes of business. For instance, restaurants uh, have to have a 50% attrition rate. Uh, you know, 50% of your restaurants that, that, that are brand new startups uh, will not be there within three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they end up closing up or going out of business. Um, so, uh, again, the standard companies, they want a three-year under-the-belt, you know, a previous coverage. The surplus lines carriers, though, uh, they immediately write um, any business coming in from any foreign country at all. Um, their rates as, at, at times are a little bit higher and they have minimum premiums, but um, those are the markets that you have to go to uh, in order to get uh, coverage normally for new clients coming in from uh, outside the United States. Mm. That's an interesting point. You said what ninety nine percent are going to require three years or more uh, before they Correct. work with them under standard lines. Yeah. Um, so I, when I started out in the insurance industry almost four years ago, I was a an underwriter for commercial underwriter for Travelers and um, Travelers Insurance Company, and uh, we wrote all different types of business. I wrote trucking, and we wrote you know. But anything that came, was coming in uh, from a foreign country um, would have to um, end up going to, we had a surplus lines division at Travelers at that time, and those folks would write the business on uh, what we call non-admitted paper. There's, it's still A-rated paper, but it's, it's considered non-admitted or surplus lines. Um, mm-hmm. And pretty, you know, pretty much throughout my career, that has pretty much stayed the same. The standard companies don't want to write business under uh, without three years of, you know, experience. Um, so um, it's kind of a standard uh, that, you know, that 
most new risks end up going to the surplus lines markets, which is not a bad thing. It's just they, they're, um, you know, that's kind of the market to go to. Uh, and in that market too, uh, I've dealt a lot with Lloyd's. I've written a lot of business with Lloyd's, um, which is kind of interesting because you've got a British company or a UK company coming in the United States and we end up going to, Lo- to Lloyd's to get a policy to cover them here in the United States. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, but um, uh, Lloyd's, of course, has a lot of syndicates uh, that they that they use. And so um, we do have, you know, in the last 20 of the, thir- of the well, the last 30 of the 40 years, um, we've had American companies that have come into business like Lloyd's. Uh, one of the companies that I worked for uh, back in the early 90s was Scottsdale Insurance. And they're probably the premier um, insurance, not admitted insurance carrier out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, they do everything that a Lloyd's will do, but they're domiciled here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And as you said, it's not a, not a bad thing that they might run into this challenge that people are looking for. Uh, these entities are looking for three years um, of, of business operations. I guess it just kind of limits um, what they can get quotes for in the beginning. So I guess they can plan as they establish more history as a business um, they might get better rates uh, and more opportunities for coverage uh, into the future as they grow in the U.S. Is that fair? Yes. And so what we do here uh, at Avitas uh, Insurance Services, so we'll take, a, a, a let's say, a client that came in um, three years ago. We will then convert them over to an admitted carrier or a standard carrier. Um, we have in-house, we're able to quote and write uh, Travelers and Hartford and Markel and, and all those standard Amtrust type companies. And so we'll convert them over then at the end of that three years to a standard uh, policy, which the standard policies throw in a lot of bells and whistles that give them extra coverages uh, for different lines. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And you had mentioned earlier, you kind of had run through a little bit of a of a laundry list, if you will, of all the different types of insurances that are out there that might be of interest. And, and of course, noting that it's really going to depend on their business model and the risk involved and, and what they do within their industry. But I wonder if you um, if you might give some examples of if they are, you know, a company that is just starting out, you know, what are the first, you know, one or two that they should absolutely get in place before anything else, just to really cross their T's and dot their I's? Sure. Well, uh, of course, first of all, um, they need to uh, get established if they're going to come into the United States to do business. So we have a we have a team um, uh, that uh, Emily uh, Reynolds works with, and they help with the uh, the processing uh, and getting uh, the licenses and uh, getting the uh, the companies that are coming in their FEIN numbers. So they have to have all that information first, uh, which means they need um, a domicile address. It doesn't have to necessarily always be a physical address. For instance. Uh, many times we have uh, UK companies coming in that uh, they'll be hiring a salesperson, let's say in New York. And so they'll use the New York um, individual that they're hiring, that employee, their address for their uh, for their location. And the first thing type of insurance that they need, of course, with an employee is workers' compensation. Um, so that's the most important. Um, if they are leasing a space, um, let's say that they lease an office space um, in a you know in a business building. Um, they would need uh, general liability coverage uh, because their leases uh, that they would be signing uh, to uh, to rent that space would require them to have general liability. Um, so let's let's say that 
and a company's coming in, they've rented an office in New York City and they've hired one employee. So they would need general liability and they would need uh, uh, workers' compensation. Um, if they also purchased, let's say that, that the office that they were um, that they were renting or leasing did not come with any type of furniture and that they had to go out and buy furniture, then they would need property coverage to cover their computers, uh, their desks, chairs, uh, anything that they would have that would belong to the company um, in that office space. And again, if they had to purchase a vehicle for some reason, they would need to get uh, commercial auto coverage for that vehicle. Um, but usually starting out, most of the time, it's workers' comp and general liability are mm -hmm. usually the two that they start with, uh, depending on, you know, how big, you know, they are. And we have some clients that, that, uh, that are manufacturers that do come into the United States and they buy a, you know, they buy a building and they start into, let's say, renovating the building. Well, we've got to write a builder's risk policy for them, which is a part, it's a type of a property risk, which covers them from the time they start, uh, the construction of the building or the remodeling of the building. Um, and so we can do a course of construction uh, or build what we refer to as a builder's risk policy for them. Um, and then, you know, uh, later on, um, depending on the on, on type of business that they have, they may want an umbrella. If they do Internet work, uh, they have a website uh, that they sell or do or, you know, work with. Uh, they would need cyber liability to cover hacking or uh, anyone, you know, ja uh, trying to uh, intercept and, and hijack or, or to, uh, to uh, get in, into the, the website itself. Um, so you need protection for that. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, you touched on a couple of points I want to circle back to that I think are quite important. Um, one is that really the, I guess, linchpin for being able to even consider getting insurance in place in the U.S. is needing to have an entity. So our listeners might refer back to our entity formation episode that we did earlier on with, with Steve Bentley. Um, well, we really covered, um, as you touched on, Kevin, the support of our international planning team, which which Emily Reynolds leads um, in terms of getting that FEIN number, which allows you to take on many of these operational elements that you need, uh, whether it be getting a bank account in place, whether it be getting insurance and, and all these other elements. Um, so that's certainly a helpful item that you pointed out to remind our listeners of. Um, and I know that you had also kind of alluded to the fact that um, you know, the, the, cover, the rates on coverage are really going to range depending on what the, you know, I presume the projected annual revenues and payrolls are for a business. But I wonder if you might just give a, or could you give a very broad range of what a company might expect um, in their first year if they're just getting started, maybe they just have um, a general liability policy, maybe errors and omissions in place, um, would it be possible to give a range of what they might expect pay, to pay at the low and high end in a given year? Um, well, again, uh, you know, the minimum premiums for, um, I know for the uh, general liability usually is around uh, $500 to $1,500. That's just a really base policy. Mm -hmm. um, if they need, you know, products, completed operations, and, you um, you know, a full coverage, you're maybe looking at around 2,500, but it all depends upon their sales or their payroll. Mm -hmm. uh, most governing classes for general liability, well, they're all either, they're either based off of, of revenue, so annual sales, their annual payroll, or if it's a, a class that it has to do with the size of the building, uh, the, if they're, you know, renting a space and they're just getting what we refer to as premises liability, it's based off of the area, the square footage of that mm -hmm. particular office. 
Um, but yeah, I would say on the low end, you're looking anywhere between 500 to 750 to a thousand and the high end, you know, could be several thousand dollars depending on uh, if it's based off of sales and we're writing a full general liability policy for them. The workers comp is going to be a little bit different because it's going to be based off of how much their payroll is. Uh, again, if they're, if they're doing something in a high risk area, you know, the premium and the rates are going to be more. Uh, but normally for general, you know, for workers comp policies, uh, you're looking at um, starting out around, you know, for one employee, uh, let's say you're saying in the range of fifty to $60,000 a year in payroll, um, you're probably looking at somewhere around uh, $750 to $1,000 uh, minimum, again, depending on the class of business. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's helpful to at least hear that those kind of examples of what a minimum might be. Um, I think a lot right. of our list, all of our listeners, are are putting together um, likely their, their own budget. their own plan, their own budget. Right? They're trying to figure out what is the capex, what is what is a, a full year operation going to look like in the U.S. as they try to make the the business case to their board or, or their leadership team on making this expansion. So, anytime we can provide those examples, it's certainly helpful. Right. Now, the errors and omissions are a completely different thing. The errors and omissions, if you're talking about uh, if they do consulting work, um, if they do taxes, um, if they're attorneys, um, if they're doctors, mm-hmm. that is a whole different ball game. And the minimum premiums for those type of policies, again, depends on the payroll and the sales. But you're looking at somewhere around probably $3,000 to $5,000 for minimums for errors and omissions. Now, if they're if they're strictly a consulting company and they don't, you know, they don't do anything that's uh, higher end in, you know, in, as far as consulting like legal work or medical, uh, it's medical related. Those policies probably run around fifteen hundred dollars uh, mm. to start with, but your higher end is going to be in the three to five thousand dollar range for uh, professional liability, things like medical malpractice, attorneys, you know, um, tax attorneys, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And like directors and officers, so a lot of your a lot of the companies coming in from uh, the UK, they they want to immediately get DNO coverage, directors and officers coverage, which is a type of professional liability, and those premiums again start uh, at around a thousand to twenty five hundred um, for directors and officers. Mm-hmm. Well, well, certainly they can all start to add up. So I think it is helpful for our listeners to just kind of get a grasp of what the basics are that they need not only to protect their employees their directors, uh, but also the company as a whole. So I think we're right. really painting that picture, but also of the value of, of bringing in the experts um, and helping corral this information together, because uh, I think that's uh, it's fair to say that part of the real value proposition is leaning um, on a broker and support to bring all this to the table for them so they can just uh, have it presented to them on what would be the best risk management tools from an insurance perspective, uh, and, and then can review those policies once they've already been gathered from the market. So uh, it would be quite a lot for them to try to take on themselves uh, as they try to just focus on, on driving revenue for the company, of course. Now for a quick break. This week's top tip for the U.S. market is brought to you by Allison Stewart Allen, co-author of Working with Americans, the first ever business manual exclusively about U.S. business culture. One of the top tips for working with Americans is our desire for business before pleasure. So be willing to do the deal first 
finalize the contract, and then think about the relationship that you're building with your American counterpart. Generally, we develop our relationships through doing business. Uh, if we don't take uh, the time to get to know you, it's not uh, meant to be an insult. We are interested in you, uh, but we also have a schedule to keep. So uh, get to the facts uh, as soon as you can. Thanks, Allison. Our listeners can visit the book's website, workingwithamericans.com, to download two free chapters and claim a 20% discount on ordering the book until December 31st, 2020, with the code WWA20. So um, I wonder, you know, something you touched on earlier, Kevin, that I wanted to revisit, um, go, going back to the, that case study of sorts that you'd mentioned where the company was thinking that they had coverage uh, in their home market. So I trust there are many, um, many of our listeners, because I know I've interacted with many clients who have indicated that they have some type of policy in place with their current carriers um, overseas. But uh, as you say, perhaps when you read the fine print, there could be something that's excluding uh, part of that U.S. activity. So it's going to be very important for them to uh, perhaps start that conversation with their insurance providers any any thoughts or suggestions there as they do try to make that assessment um, or, or what they might be want to, want to be asking themselves or asking their provider about that coverage um, in order to really be sure they're protected? Well, the first thing, if they do have uh, a UK policy that has an, uh, an extension uh, that gives coverage, uh, and most of them usually give coverage to the United States and, and, and Canada, um, it's best to have someone within the United States, a professional here, that can actually sit down and review the policy word for word. Because again, the, many of the, and I, I have literally looked at hundreds, if not thousands of UK policies that have had these uh, American or US and Canadian extensions on them. And most of the time, I would say probably 95% of the time, they're not really providing any coverage. That's really? why the, the extensions are usually very cheap. Um, and then the other, the other thing that, that you get into, too, is that uh, many of the extensions uh, that do provide coverage uh, mandate that, they, uh, that the, uh, fi- that the uh, filing of the claim has to be done in the UK, mm. uh, which <laughs> changes the whole dynamic of the policy because the coverage is supposed to cover the claim that's being uh, you know, filed here in the United States. So um, again, most of the time, these extensions, I, you know, I rarely see extensions that, uh, that provide um, extensive coverage for individuals. Um, more on the other end, uh, I, I previously worked for, for AIG for 10 years, and we, of course, had, we have offices all over the world, or they have offices all over the world. Um, we had, um, I've written a lot of accounts that uh, that were U.S. based, and that we would add coverage to, you know, to extend to Portugal, China, uh, the U.K., Russia, wherever. And so those type of policies, that's kind of a reverse. Um, they do provide good coverage for for them in that other country. Uh, but again, most of the policies that I've reviewed over the years, coming from uh, reverse from that, which is where your clients prospective clients would be coming from, most of those coverages just really don't provide uh, the, the adequate coverage that they would need here in the United States to do business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 95%, I think you said. So that's that's concerning. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. if you're listening and you think you have an extension, uh, please uh, 
have for your own peace of mind, have another look uh, and bring in an expert uh, to, to have another exactly. look at that. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you could speak a little bit um, more, Kevin, just about how the, the team at Avidis um, is engaging with clients and really, you know, helping give them peace of mind and, and helping make this process, which I think is probably already seeing a little overwhelming as we dive deeper and deeper into it, um, much more simple for their business, would you say? Well, um, Avidis uh, started out as a, uh, we refer to as a back office company, uh, 20, I think um, 25 years ago. Um, and they started out doing payroll and accounting, and then they've added um, other lines of business uh, that a client would need. So the whole concept is with Avidis is that we're what we refer to as a one-stop shop type business in which a client can come to us. They don't, you know, we can do their payroll, we can do their HR, we can do their staffing, we can do their insurance, we can do their payroll, we can do all of that for them. And that takes the load off of the client so that they can just stay focused on doing what they do best, which is their business. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of individuals, a lot of clients get bogged down um, when they're tra- when they're ha- when they have to hire their own accountants or when they have to hire somebody to do their payroll, or they have to you know, go out and have somebody uh, do their marketing for them uh, or staffing. And they can come to Avidas and we, we have you know, 14, 15 divisions in which we can provide the majority of the services that they would need uh, to satisfy them, which releases them up uh, to, to do whatever type of business they have, whether they're you know, involved in construction or in trucking or their attorneys or their doctors or whatever, uh, we can free up that client to where um, they don't have to worry about it because they know that we take care of them. Uh, we make sure uh, and we get all issues and things like that resolved. And it takes the worry off of them, you know, as of instead of waking up at three o'clock in the morning, worrying about having to do payroll the next day, mm-hmm. uh, they can sleep through the night knowing that Avidis will, you know, will do all those uh, uh, processes for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a quite a, a good picture you've painted, and um, it, it's really a menu as well, in addition to, to um, being turnkey and a one-stop shop, as you say. Um, it's also something that they have a, you know, a provider in one area that they can still you know, mix and match, I suppose, to fit their needs, which I think is flexibility that all international investors and anyone coming to a market um, appreciates having, to, to be fair. Um, you had touched earlier on timelines uh, and the example of the one client you were speaking about. Um, I wonder if you could just share a little bit more on, on how long that generally takes. Would you say that some policies take longer than others to get in place? Um, or are there certain you know um, time horizons that one can expect across this process? I think our investors not only are budgeting, but also trying to time out um, the sequence of their expansion. So it would be helpful for them to have an idea of how long it would take to get something in place. Sure. So the best thing to do is before a client ever does anything is to make sure and contact us uh, to let us know ahead of time so that we can get the proper insurance coverage for them. Now, if they're needing something like general liability or workers' compensation, normally uh, it's going to take somewhere about a week to 10 days for us to uh, get a quote for them. And we not only get one quote, we usually go to market and we get several quotes so they can kind of see a comparison. Um, if you're looking at something like professional liabilities or directors and officers, 
Um, it takes a little bit longer, usually maybe up to two weeks to get a quote for that. And it has to do with the underwriters being able to uh, look at financials and contracts and anything having to do with the company where they would be writing any type of professional liability, including errors and emissions. So that mm-hmm. those do take a little bit longer. But most of the time, it's anywhere from seven to 10 days. And, some, and in the case of the, of the individual that I spoke of, the client that just came on board uh, uh, a couple months ago, uh, we did a rush on that one uh, because they realized they'd been doing business uh, in the United States for two years and had no insurance coverage. And so, again, we you know went to town and we got them coverage literally within two and a half to three days. So mm. it can be done. It's better to prepare ahead. It's better to think ahead. And when you you know you're going to start uh, uh, you know a line of business, no matter what it is, it's good to ask ahead of time to make sure you have coverage in place. Because the last thing you want as a client is to start up a business and not have proper coverage. And then you, you end up turning around and getting sued. And, uh, you know, you, it's what we refer to as going bare. You don't have any coverage. And that's the last thing you ever want uh, as a business owner. You want to protect your own assets. Uh, and the way to do that is to have commercial insurance. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you've really hit on what was going to be my next question, which is, why it's essential that international firms really um, seek guidance and expertise when getting these insurances in place. Because, you know, I think they already um, hopefully are sensitive to this because the U.S. does have a reputation of of being litigious. Um, And so it's certainly all the more important to have peace of mind uh, by talking to the experts, knowing what you need and getting it in place uh, as quickly as possible. So uh, I think you've already, uh, you've covered that one quite well. Um, I wonder, you know, you've, you've given us um, some very nice examples throughout the, the conversation. Is there any other, you know, kind of international client experience that stuck with you or anything that you generally see um, that really illustrates further the points that you've been making about seeking this guidance and about the, the processes? Um, any, anyone else kind of come to mind or any uh, generalities from advising international clients? Um, well, along with uh, along with the services that we offer, um, we do, well, I recommend that they do have or find an attorney here in the United States that uh, specializes in, um, in companies coming into the country because there are, uh, there are other areas other than insurance that a client might need to understand uh, that a, an attorney uh, would be able to advise them on. Uh, sometimes it has to do with the type of business that they're in, um, but it's always good to get a legal uh, kind of, you know, as a sounding board, more more or less, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, if there's any, you don't want anything to fall between the cracks. So you, you want to make sure that you have insurance coverage, but also you want to make sure you're doing everything legally. And the best, the, the only way to know that completely is to make sure that you do have a trusted advisor uh, uh with, you know, as an attorney, um, uh, looking at what your operation is and what you're starting up, uh, because they usually have checklists of things uh, to go over with someone coming in, uh, you know, as a new new startup, uh, because there are tr- attorneys that specialize in, you know, new client startups, so um, coming into the United States. So I would advise uh, seeking and finding a, a good attorney. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that we do offer a free review so anyone uh, that um, listens to this podcast and uh, they're 
thinking about coming into the United States. Maybe they're still still in just the thought process. Um, they can certainly contact Emily, and we can, if they provide us with a copy of their policies, um, I can certainly do a free review of those just to see, uh, give them some advice, uh, free advice uh, as to coming into the United States, uh, what type of policies they would need. Um, I think that's a, a, a good thing. Uh, we've offered that on some other prior uh, uh, podcasts that I've done in the past, and uh, it's just a free review. Um, again, uh, and a few, uh, you know, to look over your current policies and see exactly what you have. I, I had one client uh, that was from Poland that uh, had come to the United States, and um, um, they, for some reason during the whole process, they didn't uh, mention that they had a website, and they, they actually took credit card information over the website. Uh, and they, in their in the current com- country in, in, in Poland, uh, they're out of Warsaw, they did not um, have cyber liability. Mm. And um, so I, you know, I did a review of their policies and told them they need to get one. Well, they got, they got one for the U.S. company and then they got one for their own uh, parent company in Poland. And then about six weeks later, they had someone, uh, uh, you know, hack into their system and steal, uh, you know, private information. Uh, and the policy uh, gave them coverage for that. Otherwise, they would have been out of pocket. Wow. So timing is everything, isn't it? it exactly. Well, that is uh, certainly another excellent case study and reminder to our listeners uh, about the importance of all of this. Uh, we certainly don't intend to to frighten anyone, but really just want to be that sounding board, be that um, that that good advisor for the company. Um, so I think that uh, we always want to hit home. We're always happy to have that kind of initial free consultation uh, to point you in the right direction. Um, but as another excellent point that you made, Kevin, you know, seeking also legal support and guidance. We work with a number of legal partners to connect in our clients with, um, and we'll be bringing some onto the show in future in our next season of the podcast. So um, having that that legal guidance on, on product liability, intellectual property, all of those things really goes hand in hand with any any risk management strategy. Um, so it's a right. Good point that you've raised there. Well, unfortunately, we're approaching the end of this week's episode, uh, which means it's time for our America Made Easy Wise Words segment, where essentially we we ask any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with or points that you've already made that you'd like to emphasize, Kevin? Um, We're here to help. And uh, our whole goal is to make sure that your business is our business. So um, it's important to know that uh, when you do come on board with Avitas Group, that we're here to support you and to, uh, to, you know, we're problem solvers. We jump in and we try to protect you and to help you with, with all lines of your business. Uh, so it's important to know that you always have a friend in us. Um, it's, a, it's a community here, a family, and uh, we are here to help. Excellent. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today and to sharing your expertise with us. Um, It's been really fun to speak with you. You've been listening to the America Made Easy podcast with me, Morgan Pierstorff. My guest this week was Kevin Mayo. This podcast is produced and edited by Morgan Pierstorff and Rob Eastman in partnership with Newable Avitas. You'll find links to more information on this week's episode and how America Made Easy can help your business in the notes section of this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please subscribe and introduce a friend. You can also write to us at americamadeeasy at newable.co.uk. Thanks for listening.